Welcome back to the Living the Faith series. Let's begin, as always, with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we ask you for your grace, for your enlightenment tonight. Help us to know how what we hear corresponds to our particular faith journey. Help us to know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do and how to do it. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, welcome back. This is session three of the Living the Faith series. So, a little recap for the, uh, the program in general. The reason we're doing this, the, the reason that we're having this series, the Living the Faith series, is because the purpose of human life is to know and to love and to serve God in this life so we can be happy with him in the next. Baltimore Catechism, great definition, love it, I'm gonna do it. It's another way of saying we're designed to become saints. We're designed for it. A saint isn't uh, some strange version of yourself, it's the real you. It's you minus brokenness and evil. How amazing would that be? If we could just truly be ourselves without any hindrances. So when we attain sainthood, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the hindrances to our true self being removed. And we become our true selves by actually living the faith, by actually living what God has revealed to us is objectively true. Catholicism is basically God coming down and saying, here's how the universe works. You're going to become who you really are if you live in alignment with it. It's not some strange made up series of whatever. It's God himself explaining to us his creation and how it works. This series helps us concretely live that in the world. And uh, the ultimate concretization of it for us is getting a PSP, a personalized spiritual plan. So if you're interested in that, be paying attention, be writing, be taking notes during these sessions. And always feel free to reach out to me if you want some help with it as well, okay? That's the program in general. Last time in our second session, we talked about reconciliation, total reconciliation. The reality that our life is short. It's super short, you know, whether it's, we, we go meet our Lord in the womb or we live to 120 years, it is very, very short compared to eternity. And before we enter eternity, we need to be totally reconciled to God and anybody else. We got to get that before it's over. That's how we have peace in this life. And that's how we make it to eternal life. Like I mentioned before, I have seen a lot of people exit this world. And they don't want money and they don't want power and they don't want more things. They just want to be reconciled to the people they know they need to reconcile with. And they want to be reconciled to God. That's the reality. And so we want to do that now before we get to that bed where we meet him, because then we can be at peace and we can progress spiritually, which is what our goal is here. One of the ways we do that is by making a, what's called a general confession. That's your whole life saying, God, there was before today and there's after today. 
it's divorcing ourselves from all of the things and the people and the garbage and whatever that came before and saying, now I wanna go forward. I wanna go forward by your grace. It cost an infinite price for me to be able to do it. I wanna do it. And then after that's done, getting into a regular habit of confession monthly, like we say, daily prayer, weekly mass, monthly confession, going and asking our Lord after that confession then to enlighten us so that we know who we need to reconcile with on the earth. Who are the people that we need to reconcile with? Because I'll tell you what, that takes courage. You get a list of those people going, and the first thing you think is, I don't want to call even one of these people. <laughs> and that is a sign that we need to call them. So we pray for the grace to call them and we reconcile to the extent that that's possible. In this session, we want to look at another uh, universal human reality. Woundedness. Woundedness. Something always drives our behavior. So if you've ever had a behavior and you thought, I wonder why I'm doing that. I wonder why this is happening that way. If it's bad, if the thing is bad and it's hurting you or someone else, the answer is always woundedness. It's always some sort of hurt that's driving that behavior. So first question we got to ask is, what is it? What is spiritual woundedness? Spiritual woundedness is essentially any damage that happens to your innermost self any damage that happens to your innermost self. Remember, we have a physical part and we have a metaphysical part. We have a body and we have a soul. And when you put the two together, you have human nature. The metaphysical part, our soul, has three parts. Thank you, Aristotle. Your intellect, that's our power to think rationally, to know that we know things and to be free and direct ourselves to write novels and build skyscrapers and things like that. We have intellect. We have will. That's our power to choose. We can marry this person and not that person. We can have steak instead of chicken. We can go to the right or to the left. We can choose it. And we have passion or emotion. That's our power to feel. When we're confronted with something sad, it impacts us in a certain way. When we're confronted with something happy, it impacts us in a certain way. These are operations of the soul, these three parts of your soul. Any one of those parts doing its own little particular thing, functioning how it's supposed to function in the design of God can get damaged. It can get damaged and get messed up by someone or something. Happens to all of us, 100% universal human condition kind of thing. You cannot live this life. You can't live human life without being wounded. It's just part of being in the fallen world. The problem is when we're wounded, when we get wounded, sometimes it happens at a very, very early age, even sort of pre-consciousness. It just kind of, it's, it's just there. When we get wounded, we're not functioning like we're designed to function. When I was 10, I went to a camp associated with a church that shall remain nameless. And uh, at that camp, there was a zip line. You ever seen a zip line? Oh, didn't want to ride it. Also didn't want to seem like I was scared or a weakling. So I wrote it 
all the way down. And this was, this maybe was before regulations or something like that. It ended at a giant spring at a fairly large tree. And I, I went down, it was just a swing seat, went all the way down, hit that spring, flew off of it, went over the wire, came down, knocked myself unconscious on the tree and broke my left arm. And when I woke up, my hand was like way over here. I mean, just in some place that it definitely shouldn't have been, bones totally broken. Was my hand in full functioning order when it was like that? No, it wasn't even where it was supposed to be. It was in a different part of my body. So it just wasn't functioning correctly. There are tons of us who really love God and we really wanna serve him and we really wanna be with him forever, but we're being held back from functioning correctly because something is not where it should be. We're being held back from serious spiritual progress by our wounds, so we have to address them. Otherwise, it's like breaking your arm and just letting it go. I didn't particularly want some guy to yank on that thing and put it back where it was, didn't feel so great at the time, but I am very thankful that he did because now I can use my left arm properly. So we have to address these things. And to do that, we have to know where they came from. We have to know the source. There's a lot of sources of wounds and of woundedness, but by far, the biggest category is relationships. And of the, what I'll mention, four subcategories of relationships, the biggest one is parents. This is the big one. Almost always we have a, a mother wound or a father wound. Some people are wounded because their parents uh, are very unfortunately maliciously cruel to them. Uh, and some because of a, a, a basic spiritual principle. The basic spiritual principle is that that which is not healed is automatically communicated. That which is not healed is automatically communicated. We have a great word in Italian for it, autocomunicazione. It's auto-communicated. And what that means is that for example, as a parent, if you're a parent and you never pursue total healing for yourself, you're gonna pass on some of your woundedness, your particular pattern of woundedness to your kids without intending to do so. It's going to be auto-communicated to them. So you see little kids with a really bad temper. Usually you see parents with a bad temper, usually you see grandparents with a really bad temper. It's the wound of wrath in a family passing itself down from generation to generation. We really have to stop and think, where am I at with my mother? Where am I at with my father? Even if they've passed, because that can be a very deep wound within ourselves. The second biggest category is lovers. So, any intimate or traumatic relationship with another human person forms a kind of a spiritual bond 
that we call a soul tie. And a spiritual, this spiritual bond, this soul tie, it's something that God invented, put into us for the purpose of, of helping people in a marriage to become one flesh. And the whole thrust of your life becomes getting that other person and the little people that you make to heaven, because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that really matters. <laughs> like we said, this life is short, heaven is forever, eternity is forever. But not everybody makes the soul tie in a healthy way. So if it's in an unhealthy way, if you share great intimacy or trauma with someone outside of the marriage relationship, or even if it is of a non-sexual manner, if you rob a bank with four other people and someone gets shot, you're going to get what we call an unholy soul tie. And an unholy soul tie is a spiritual bond between two people or multiple people. And it acts kind of like a pipe. So your spiritual state can go to them and their spiritual state can go to you regardless of distance or time because it's spiritual. It's not subject to the space-time continuum. So they can be in Australia and you dated them 20 years ago and whatever they got going on can be affecting you here and now. I don't know how many people I've seen go through the prayers to break those ties and they're free. And they never would have thought, you know, from 20, 40 years ago that this relationship with that person was having some effect on them in the present, but it is. We have to go through and break those in the name of Jesus. And that's very simple. And I'll show you how in a second. Third category is friends. Hurts to be hurt by somebody, hurts way worse to be hurt by someone that you care about and that seemingly cared for you. Any breakdown in relationship can cause interior woundedness. We generally know what those are right when we start thinking about it. And the fourth one is enemies. So those that we are tempted to hate or uh, perhaps at the very least reject on some level. Those people can cause great damage in our lives because they may actually wish to wound us. They may actually want to cause us harm. Okay, so these are the categories, the main categories in relationships that can cause us woundedness. We wanna be thinking about them and in particular our own version of the story as it corresponds to them. The other big category is our own selves. You know, if, if we give in to temptation or we volitionally choose anything that's evil, it's going to hurt us. That's just what it does. You know, you can't stab yourself and not get cut. It's just what it is. Evil just hurts us. We're not designed to interact with it. We're not designed to capacitate it. We're not designed to live off of it. And so if we select it, we get wounded. And there's a myriad of ways we can do that, which we will talk about in a later talk. The other big category, other, other big category is just straight spiritual evil. Now the whole next session is on this, on ontological evil. But for now, we wanna have in our mind that participation in anything that's spiritually evil is always wounding. Sometimes on 
such a serious level that it requires some kind of outside uh, intervention in order for it to be healed. It can be quite serious. So in the next section, we will talk about the four levels that we require in deliverance prayer if we get entangled with spiritual evil. So if those are the ways that we can be wounded, and there's a million subcategories that we could talk about forever, but those are the main ways we can be wounded. What do we do about it? You know, how can it actually be addressed? If you know me personally, you know that I am not a pragmatist philosophically, but as close as you can be to a pragmatist and not be a pragmatist. I wanna know what works. I wanna know what we can do so we can make actual spiritual progress. That's measurable in some kind of way. So what do you do if you're, if you're wounded and we're all wounded, it's part of the universal human condition. There are three things we gotta recognize just right off the bat. When you think, oh, I'm a person, I'm wounded. I don't have to think very hard actually to think about how I've been wounded internally in the past. The first thing we need to realize is that this is in part a spiritual problem. We can't chalk it up solely to a poor circumstance or some sort of card we were dealt um, or something that's purely psychological and whatnot. If we are spiritual, if that's part of our very nature, part of our very makeup, then the problem is, is at least partially spiritual as well. Secondly, we have to willfully acknowledge that God has the power to solve all problems. Every single kind of problem. You hear me say all the time, difficulty is a human concept. It's not a divine concept. There's no such thing as, as difficulty to God. That's something we experience. He doesn't experience it. There's no such thing to him. So there's no wound too deep. There's no spiritual situation too complicated that he can't heal it. And I am living proof of that. And thirdly, not only can he do it, but he wants to do it. He's good. He's a good God. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a slave driver. He's not an angry dad. He wants to use his infinite power to heal us. So if all of those things are true, what do we do? What concretely, what do we actually do? Three things I want to present to you. There's tons of things, but three main things that I see over and over and over again. They really work if we really engage them on an honest level. One, ask. You know, the scriptures say you have not because you ask not. If you've ever listened to any of my other talks, you know that I'm very big on the concept of consistency. I've seen a lot of people do this and I've done it myself where you kind of ask for something and you might be real gung-ho about it for a week or a month or a year even, and you don't get it and you're like, well, guess I'm not getting that. Or even worse, guess God isn't good because he's not giving me that. But it puts to the side the incredible complexity of how God operates. He's seeing an infinite number of factors all at once, every possible conceivable thing all at once. 
And if you have access to that kind of information, you know exactly what's best for people. And sometimes he has something that's different and better for us that doesn't fit with our conception in the moment of what we're praying for. But if it's good, we get it. In one way or another, he promised that we get it. May not be in the way we think we're getting it, may not be in our timing, but we get it. You have not because you ask not. So we need to ask for it. Most of us never think to ask for deep, total, internal healing. It's just not in our prayer time. It's just not in our list. My recommendation is that it become a permanent part of your prayer time. Because as long as we are in this life, we're gonna be heard in some way or another. And we can get to the point through persistence in prayer where all of our major stuff is healed and it becomes a source of grace for other people. It becomes something that the Holy Spirit can flow through into other people's lives. We console them with the same consolation that we've received from God, as the scriptures say. If you experience that, if you experience someone being healed by the almighty God of the universe, through the lens of your own healing, of a scar that you have, your one thought is, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. To see God do what he does best, to see him act like he truly is, all worth it. We get to that point by asking for the healing. So know your wounds. If you come in for spiritual direction, we do something called wound mapping. We get a very clear idea of how we've been hurt and who's done it and when it happened and what kind of effect it is having on us and what our lives would look like without it. We get kind of a map because it's not an infinite number of things, but it can seem very overwhelming to us. Don't let it be overwhelming. It's finite and God is infinite. So know your wounds, try to map them out. And when you know them and you're bringing them in prayer consistently daily, especially if it's a, a big thing that really needs to be healed, invite Jesus into them to heal them. If you look at the healings in the scriptures, a lot of them were just because someone was screaming their head off on the side of the road. They heard Jesus was coming by, hey, heal me. And people are trying to like get him to calm down. Yeah, you know, they're just screaming all the louder. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Heal me. Boom. Healed. So we have to follow that pattern. We need to be consistently asking for him, yelling at the side of the road of our hearts in faith and his peace. Ask for it. Know what you're asking for and ask for it. Map it out. Two, this is a big one. This falls more into the category of, okay, what could prevent me from being healed? The biggest thing is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness keeps us where we are spiritually. It, it backs us into this little corner. Our Lord taught us very clearly, crystal clear, that if we don't forgive others, their sins against us, the Father in heaven is not going to forgive us our sins. 
If that isn't motivation to forgive, I don't know what is. I want my sins forgiven. Make a list of the people that you need to forgive. Make a list of the people who have caused havoc, chaos, harm, brokenness, woundedness in your life. And start small if you need to. And in your prayer time, say something like, Lord, to the extent that I can, in this moment, by your grace, I forgive this person. And I would say, even if it's 1%, even if you forgive them 1% in that moment, you have made 1% progress in the spiritual life. Don't ever discard any spiritual progress because you think it's too small. Get that list of people and begin forgiving them to the extent that you can in the moment and praying for God's grace to do it and he will supply it. If that's difficult, and many times it is difficult, I mean, many times it's very difficult. Some people have hurt us very, very badly, very, very seriously. Here's what I think it boils down to. If you wanna get down to the brass tacks, it's the reality that if we're really following our Lord, if we're really trying to be like him, if we're really trying to live our faith, we don't want even one single person in hell. We don't want anybody damned. And so if you look at the, through, the, through that lens, at whatever crime was committed against you, it all boils down to, well, Lord, that was very serious, and I ask for your justice, but at the very least, bring that person to your eternal kingdom. Purify them and bring them to your eternal kingdom. If we're finding it difficult to forgive, that's a very good place to start because it does not require engagement of emotion. It's simply the intellect saying, yes, of course, I don't want anybody damned, especially for something that they've done to me. God, work your justice, but ultimately save them eternally. When you can truly pray for somebody, for their total liberation, for their total healing, for their total forgiveness from God, for their eternal salvation, you are not far from being totally freed and set free yourself totally healed. And third, a big one, this is connected to this, these people, this list of people, is the cutting of these unholy soul ties. Once again, make a list. Who are the people with whom you have shared great intimacy or trauma? And then pray this prayer. This is the most simple version of this prayer. And I'm happy to put it out there in a different format, different priests and exorcists and whatnot have different versions of this prayer, but this is the very simple version of it that I use. I cut and sever the unholy soul tie formed between me and mm, name of the person through the sin of mm, in the name of Jesus Christ. So, for example, I cut and sever the unholy soul tie formed between me and 
Jane. It's a fake name, okay? Not, this is not my confession here. The soul tie between me and Jane through the sin of fornication in the name of Jesus Christ. To use his name is what cuts it, is what severs it. Hell trembles under that name. It has power that we can't even wrap our minds around. So when we use it in a prayer, especially in that format, in the name of Jesus, we are the princes and princesses of the universe, putting the signet ring of the king on the wax. It gives that scroll of prayer its power and its authority. I cut and I sever the unholy soul tie formed between me and mm, through the sin of mm, in the name of Jesus Christ. Make these lists. Begin thinking this way in your prayer time and make an appointment with your metaphysician if need be. That's what he's here for. If you have another priest, another pastor, great. Make an appointment, sit down and say, hey, I need some help doing this. Literally why God willed him into existence. And I promise you, if you do this, if you make this a project in prayer, if you add it to your prayer permanently, if you totally pursue complete inner healing, it'll happen. You will be significantly happier. You will enjoy a level of peace that you never have before. And you will be truly living the faith. Pause for dramatic effect. Okay, now, if there are any questions, throw them down in the chat. All right. What happens if the person you need to forgive is dead? Totally fine. Happens all the time. Very, very common uh, scenario. Not to make it trite, but I would say that's okay. Because what we're, what we're dealing with here is the Lord of life and death. He has power over all things. He has power over life and death. And so his ability to manipulate the space-time continuum and what happens inside of it and who happens in, inside of it is something that we can't even wrap our minds around. So if someone has, has passed on and there's no ability to sit down with them and reach some level of reconciliation, that's fine. That's okay. We can still speak to them in prayer as if we were as if the person was there in the power of the Holy Spirit, not trying to conjure them as a ghost or whatnot, but in the power of God, in the realm of the Holy Spirit, we can speak to them and say, Mom, Dad, I forgive you. I forgive you for this, 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 and this, and this. This is what it led to in my life. This is the chaos that it, it made occur. I forgive you. I pray God forgive you, that he has mercy on you, and that he bring you into his everlasting kingdom. If there is any unholy tie between us, I sever it now in the name of Jesus Christ. When you can think that way, and when you can pray that way extemporaneously like that, 
you're getting much closer to being like a carpenter that can just pull tools out of the belt and, and use them. If you have already confessed the sin of fornication and you feel general detachment from the other person, is the prayer you mentioned still necessary? I would say this, why not? <laughs> why not? There could be some complicated supernatural uh, reality or preternatural spiritual reality there that we're not fully aware of, that's lying dormant. If the enemy is involved, he always likes to hide to the extent that it's possible. Because when he's hidden, he's powerful. When he's out in the open, you know what to shoot at, right? So it's very possible in an intimate relationship with someone that you still need to sever that tie. Confession is obviously more powerful though. So that's the right thing. You did absolutely the right thing in that case. That severs the enemy's ability to continue to manipulate uh, us spiritually through that thing. But why not? Why not pray the severing prayer even just one time? Any advice on how to make the distinction between having a need to forgive someone and the interior woundedness that feels like self-victimization. I think there's probably two, two things to look at there. One, can you trace it back to another person? And most of the time I would, I, I would think we would say, yes, someone else was involved. If you can't trace it back to anybody, then voila, you have your answer. It's self-victimization on some level perhaps spiritual involvement from spiritual evil as well. But also, two, if you can tie it back to someone else, was there a point where that hurt, that woundedness had a terminus, where it ended, where someone put the ball down and then you picked it up and kept running with it? Because there is some sort of strange self-therapeutic reality to kind of, uh, you know, petting the cat of our woundedness, uh, if you will. We kind of like to, to go over it because it consoles us in a chaotic way. And so I would look at those two things. Can you tie it back to someone else? And if you can, was there a point where they stopped the hurting and we picked it up and we kept going with them rather than saying, God, forgive me for my involvement forgive them for their involvement. I cut that relationship off in Jesus' name. Heal me of these wounds. I invite you into them. I give you permission to heal them. This is the thing about the healing of wounds too, is that God is the most powerful being in the universe. He's being itself. He will not kick the door down of our hearts. He just won't do it. He won't kick it down. We have to invite him in. And so we have to give him permission. What if the wound is from the church? Excellent question. So a little, a little ecclesiology here. The church is uh, the mystical body of Christ, right? Which is the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in people's souls, in the, in the spiritual part of, of people, in this worldwide interconnected nexus that if we could see it, it would just blow our minds. Um, but that involves people. And people are very wounded. 
and wounded people pass on their woundedness, right? They auto-communicate their woundedness or they pass it on maliciously. And those types of people are indeed in the church, capital C. So if the church is doing the wounding, I would always make the distinction between the church mystical body of Christ, spotless bride of Christ, and the people that the church comprises. Because the people are the ones who are doing the wounding because of their own woundedness. And something that can help us extend mercy is to recognize that. They are hurting because somebody hurt them. Doesn't excuse their actions. Doesn't give them a free pass. Justice should be done. But intertwined with Christian justice is Christian mercy as well. And I would say um, it's important to make that distinction. How do you know if you're entirely for, if you've entirely forgiven someone, especially if you still feel the wound? It is a very safe thing if you still uh, feel the wound to analyze, are you ever tempted to ruminate on what caused the wound? Does that pop into your head, into your soul sometimes? Because there's a difference between being aware of the wound and uh, ruminating on what caused the wound, playing it out over and over again. If you're playing it out over and over again, or even occasionally, I would say that the person who caused it has not been entirely forgiven. So here's my recommendation. When it comes up, and this is a basic principle in the spiritual life, when it comes up, we have to be punctual about our response to it. So if you're punctual about your response to it, as soon as it comes up, it's a temptation, right? The enemy is tempting us. As soon as it comes up, oh, there's that person. They hurt me. Mm, 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 mm. That is the moment. Right in that moment, congratulations, welcome to the winner's circle. That is the moment where the God of the universe is saying, pray for that person. They hurt you because they're hurt. Pray for their healing, and I am going to unleash the infinite power of healing grace in your own life. If we pray for someone that they receive something that is good, it kicks us wide open to receiving that ourselves. So that's how I think you know. Is it, is it, are you just thinking of the wound, in which case you can invite Jesus directly in to heal it, or are you thinking about what caused it? in which case we should intercede for the healing of the person that caused it. Is it a good idea to do some wound mapping before one makes a general confession? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great idea. Because when you make your general confession, our sins are most oftentimes uh, connected to our wounds. And so... This is just general information. I'm not reading anybody's mail. General information about humans is if we experience some kind of sexual wound, we generally act out sexually. And that becomes a chaotic pattern of behavior in our life. And so if we, in our adulthood, look at the 
the woundedness, the sexual woundedness and say, ah, why is this happening? Where's this coming from? We generally got to go back and map some of that woundedness and see where it came from. And then when our Lord is invited specifically into that area in our lives, we obtain true healing. And the behavior, the chaotic behavior goes away as a side effect. It's really quite amazing. We get healed and some messed up thing goes away as a side effect of being healed. It's wonderful. So yeah, high recommendation for wound mapping before general confession. What would you advise for people who aren't aware of what their wounds are? Well, I think, you know, if you sit down quietly in prayer and in contemplation, and you're not aware of what your wounds are, uh, I would venture a guess that you can probably turn up one. I think most people turning the eye of their consciousness inward are able to identify at least one thing in their life that has truly, truly hurt them. And from that, you can get back to some bigger stuff. It's sort of like if you've ever been out in the bush and you find some small tributary of a river, you can follow that back to the river and follow the river. When you find that tributary, you know, or as we say in Oregon, a creek. Now I'm a firm believer that there is a qualitative difference between a creek and a creek. I will fight anyone that says different. No, I just, I just think there's a difference between the, you say you find a crick, which is small, smaller. You might follow that to a creek, then you get to the river and eventually you might get to some huge lake or the ocean. So I would try to identify one thing in prayer and just say, Lord, show me what my core wound is. What's the big one? What's the main one that's driving everything else? And Lord, even before I know what it is, you know what it is. You see through me like a pane of glass. I ask you to begin healing it even now, even before I know what it is. That's an act of faith. How do you balance forgiveness with uh, real claims to justice that is due? That's a more complicated question. Uh, than, than you might think. God is perfectly just and he's perfectly merciful. These are the two universal realities that we have to recognize. So being merciful is not being permissive. Permissiveness is a totally aberrant type of behavior, right? So if you have kids, you know, that are, are running around with shotguns, dogs and cats living together, it's mass hysteria, you know, and you say, nope, not going to do that. That's an act of love. That's an act of discerning love. If you just kind of let it go, that's not just. You're not, you're not being merciful. You're not being just. The two go together. When you tell someone what's right, when you give them their due and there's justice, then there's mercy. There's authentic mercy. So in terms of like balancing forgiveness and real claims to justice, 
I would say it's perfectly acceptable to pursue justice, perhaps even in a legal fashion, while at the same time, supernaturally, totally and utterly forgiving someone. Those realities can and do coincide perfectly. How would you advise someone who is struggling with unforgiveness toward themselves, especially when they have already brought those sins to confession? So when we go to confession and we are truly forgiven uh, of our sins, there's something that has to happen within us where we have faith to believe that that's actually happened, right? Because the enemy will come along and whisper in our ear like, you weren't sorry enough. That didn't really work. You're just talking to some guy behind a sheet. You didn't confess everything you were supposed to, didn't take. Whatever it might be, it's all, all of these things. And so the supernatural reality of faith has to be present. It has to be there. And so if we notice that it's not fully there, very simply, we should pray for Lord, give me the faith to believe that I am forgiven. Because I guarantee a lack of self-forgiveness is directly connected to an issue of faith concerning forgiveness by God. Because if we believe that he has wiped the slate clean, to our intellect, it seems like foolishness to hold on to it. But if there's part of us that's like, mm, I don't know, then there's another part of us that makes it very difficult to forgive what we've done, to forgive ourselves for what we've done. So two things then. Put that at our Lord's feet, totally submit it to him, and pray for the, a greater infusion of the gift of faith, the virtue of faith, to believe that he has totally wiped the slate clean and that his blood has infinite power, that it cost an infinite price to be forgiven, and he paid it, and it actually happened. To clarify, is it sufficient to do our own wound mapping, or is it better to do it with a priest before making a general confession? Both are fully acceptable. The term wound mapping is something that I just made up. I think it, it makes sense. Um, you can totally do it on your own though. Essentially, moving forward with the river example, it's like writing, writing out the, the direction and the type and the movement of the river. You're looking for the big wounds. My dad never told me he loved me. My mom purposely took my food away. My brother used to beat me up out of uh, view of my parents very seriously. This guy broke my heart. This girl broke my heart. The big things. And you want to get those big things down and then see the effects that they've had on you, on your life. Um, those will show you the lakes and the rivers and the tributaries. Totally acceptable to do it on your own. If you want, after you do it on your own, run it past your pastor. You know, send him an email and tell him to delete it when he's done. <laughs> and he'll give you some feedback, and that might be helpful for the general confession. Generally so.
Well, that appears to be all of our questions. Thank you so much. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for a true openness, a sincere openness in our minds, hearts, bodies, souls, and spirits to you, eternal God and true healer. And we invite you in and we give you permission to heal us completely and totally of every single wound that we have ever incurred in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to live and exist like the sons and daughters that we truly are. Help us to make progress all the way from here, from this very point, into the eternal kingdom of heaven. And bless all of those who gather here in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.